This is Matt Kelly, correspondent for Roto Underworld Radio, reporting to you live from the Scottfish Bowl. Hashtag SFB480 on Twitter. Jim in my division, in the Badass Men Conference, Keanu Reeves division. We're through 14 rounds. Here's my roster. Joe Flacco, Tony Romo at quarterback. LeGarrette Blunt, Tevin Coleman, Duke Johnson, Charles Sims at running back. My wide receivers are Antonio Brown, Brandon Cooks, Josh Doxson, Julian Edelman, Larry Fitzgerald, Allen Robinson, Golden Tate, and my tight end, Austin Safarian Jenkins. Superflex League with a .5 PPR bonus for tight ends and a .25 carry bonus for all positions. Now you might say, wow, that roster sounds too good to be true. Is that an 18 league? No, it's a 12 team league. Well, you're lying then. You can't create a team like that. It's not possible in a 12 team league. Well, it is possible when the scoring system is skewed to prop up the running backs and the tight ends and even the quarterbacks because it's super flex. And running quarterbacks in particular can take advantage of the 0.25 points per carry. So the only position in the Scott Fishbowl that isn't benefiting from the scoring system is the wide receiver. So if you go 0RB in a league like that, you are going to have your pick of the litter in every single round, and that's what happened to me. In the first round, who would you ideally want to have? Oh, Antonio Brown. In the second round, oh, I'd love to have Allen Robinson. Oh, in the third round, well, I'd love to have Brandon Cooks. Well, what about the fourth round? Oh, Julian Edelman would be nice. Oh, well, the fifth round, well, I'd love to have Golden Tate. And on and on and on and on. And then some fortunate things started happening. Where I was picking in the draft... It allowed me to scoop certain running backs before a new run on running backs started. I scooped Charles Sims and Duke Johnson just in time. And then I was also fortunate to be on the back end of a quarterback run. So I was able to get Tony Romo and Joe Flacco. I actually drafted Joe Flacco after Brock Osweiler was off the board. That's how late Joe Flacco went in that league. Joe Flacco, who I have in my top 15 quarterbacks in redraft because no team threw the ball as much as the Baltimore Ravens last year. We'll talk about the Ravens more later in the show. The Ravens are set up to have one of their best offensive seasons ever. Even though we don't know who any of their starters are going to be except Joe Flacco, it doesn't matter. They do have depth, they just don't have depth chart certainty in Baltimore. And that's a team you can take advantage of in fantasy football leagues. The wide receivers and the running backs and the tight ends in Baltimore are all discounted because nobody knows who the starters are. But we do know Mark Tressman is the offensive coordinator. His pass-to-run ratio is higher than any other offensive coordinator in the league. And we know the quarterback is going to be Joe Flacco. That's all I needed to know to target Joe Flacco in the Scott Fish Bowl. And I implemented 0RB because the roster requirements are such that I believe it was rational to target wide receivers because the league starts three receivers and four flex positions, one of those being a super flex option. So there are weeks in which I will be starting seven wide receivers. My sixth receiver is Larry Fitzgerald, and my seventh receiver is Josh Doxson, and I'm excited to draft a couple more high-ceiling wide receivers near the end of the draft. You all who listen to the Roto Underworld Radio show with Matt Kelly probably have a, a clue, a slight inkling as to which of those receivers I am going to be targeting in the draft. 
I think you know who I'm looking at. Athletic receivers tethered to elite quarterbacks in high-octane offenses. I Maybe you know who I'm going to be targeting in a few rounds. I think you do. But I heard you don't want to go zero RB in the Scott Fish Bowl. No, 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 no. You don't want to go zero RB. I heard that on many occasions. Before I created the greatest fantasy team anyone has ever seen, that was all I heard chirping in my ear. Can't go zero RB. Oh, can't go zero RB. No, no, can't go zero. No, 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 no. You can't go zero RB. No, 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 you can't do that. No, no, no. You can go zero RB in every league you're in, Matt Kelly, except the Scott Fishbowl. The scoring system just won't allow it. The scoring system won't allow it. You can't do it. You can't. You just can't. Just, just, just can't. No. 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 You don't want to have a team with Antonio Brown, Allen Robinson, Brandon Cooks, Julian Edelman, Golden Tate, Larry Fitzgerald, and Josh Doxon. You don't want a team like that. No. No. Stay away from that team. <laughs> but what about the running backs? No, the running backs. Oh, my running backs must be a disaster. Oh, I won't be able to score enough points when everyone's getting that .25 carry bonus. But wait a second. I have the surefire carry leader and rushing touchdown leader for the New England Patriots, LeGarrette Blunt. I think he's going to get enough carries to help me take advantage of that scoring system, that bonus structure. I'm hearing now that the Browns want Duke Johnson to be their workhorse. That sounds good. That sounds exciting. There is still a .25 point per reception for running backs. So Charles Sims still has standalone value. And if Doug Martin goes down, it's easy to see Charles Sims being a top five fantasy running back. When you look at Charles Sims, you see 2015 Devontae Freeman, a league-winning running back. That's exactly how people drafted Devontae Freeman in 2015. It's the same exact logic. You take Devontae Freeman in 2015 because he has standalone value in PPR, and you can take advantage of good things that could happen on the depth chart, like Tevin Coleman either struggling, fumbling, getting hurt. Any of those things happen to rookie Tevin Coleman, Devontae Freeman becomes a fantasy monster, and that's the same rationale I used to draft Duke Johnson and Charles Sims. Those are the best zero RB running backs in the league. I couldn't have hand-selected better running backs than those for my zero RB roster. And that was a surprise because there is a running back premium. I didn't think I was going to be able to draft LeGarrette Blunt so late or Tevin Coleman so late. But it happened. It just happened. Good things happen when you implement zero RB. That's what I've found. Even in the Scott Fishbowl. Yes, even in the Scott Fishbowl. But before I prove to the world that zero RB is a sound strategy for Scott Fish for the Scott Fishbowl, I heard that you don't want to implement zero RB because it minimizes volatility and you actually want to maximize your volatility in the Scott Fishbowl because... The Scott Fishbowl playoff format is like a big DFS GPP tournament. It's a long shot to win, so you just need to swing for the fences. And the best way to swing for the fences in the Scott Fishbowl is to hit on a stud running back. That's fair. Yes. We had Scott Fish on the Football Diehards program earlier in the week. Go to Stitcher, go to iTunes, search for Football Diehards Podcast with Matt Kelly, and listen to that show with the founder of the league, Scott Fish. 
and he talks about his unique playoff format. And the best roster he's ever seen since the league's inception featured three of the top five running backs in the league that year in fantasy football. So yes, that's one way to win. But the most successful teams last year used zero RB, so it just depends. I think zero RB is an easier way to win the championship than robust RB. And I also talked about that on that Football Diehards podcast episode. Because it is true, in a playoff format that is tournament style, where you're competing against 10 other teams for one slot every week, yeah, you want volatility. Sure, absolutely. That's intuitive. If you have all Eric Deckers, you're going to get beat by a couple teams that have Alan Hearns and Alan Robinson the week they play New Orleans. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, that's intuitive. Seasonal volatility is good. You get the player who from season to season is volatile. This happens to be the season his production spikes. That's what you want, but you do not necessarily want week-to-week volatility. That's not a good thing. Because if you have week-to-week volatility, then you don't know who to start every week. And in one of those tournament weeks, it could be week 14 or 15 or 16, you're going to start the wrong receivers. Three or four of your receivers will crater, and your team will implode, and you're out. So you actually do not want week-to-week volatility. You want production that is predictable. You want players with general season-long upside if good things happen to them, like Devontae Freeman last year. You do not want irrational, impossible-to-predict, week-to-week volatility. That's actually not what you want. So that's a fallacy that's been widely dispersed among the fantasy football metrics heads this season when discussing Scott Fishbowl's strategy. What you're really looking to do is maximize your upside, particularly in the later rounds. Again, we talked to Scott Fish about this, drafting those running backs that could become studs especially in a format that awards a bonus for carries. Running backs like Zach Zenner, Alex Collins, those are the running backs to target in the later rounds because there's uncertainty around Thomas Rawls. There's uncertainty around Amir Abdullah. Draft players who can take advantage of good things happening to them on the depth chart. You want to position your team in such a way to allow good things to happen to it. And what I have found is zero RB maximizes positive outcomes for my team as the season progresses. It maximizes serendipity. You want to maximize serendipity. But even as you're maximizing serendipity, you cannot allow the playoff format to change your whole draft concept. Because if you change your whole draft concept based on the league's scoring system, then the most likely outcome is that your team will be fundamentally suboptimal and no one wants that. Sure, you want to benefit from serendipity, but you can't win a championship if you miss the playoffs because that's what happened to the robust RB teams last season. They were chasing running backs. Those that chased running backs last season are the teams that finished in the last place. They invested in the highly fragile, highly volatile running back position. And while others were benefiting from the serendipity of running back injuries above their players on the depth chart, it was the the robust RB teams that were suffering. They were the ones being destroyed by the volatility and the fragility. You can't win a championship if you miss the playoffs. You don't make money in fantasy football trying to skydive through keyholes. 
So in a format like the Scott Fishbowl, what you want to do is lean toward volatility. Have a preference for volatility over stability. Have a preference for upside over predictiveness. So I'm not abandoning what I believe is the clear-cut optimal draft concept just because the scoring system has been tweaked and the playoff format is different. But what I am doing is leaning upside in those intra-position micro-decisions. So for example... If you go to my rankings, playerprofiler.com forward slash player dash rankings, you will see on those rankings, I clearly have LeGarrette Blunt ahead of Tevin Coleman because LeGarrette Blunt has a well-defined role. Tevin Coleman does not. I understand Tevin Coleman has more upside, but the seasonal redraft ranks are more about someone's walking up to me and saying, I'm going to pull this lever and you're going to fall through a trap door unless you get this right. Who will have more fantasy points this year, Tevin Coleman or LeGarrette Blunt? Every time, if the stakes are, I fall through a trap door to my death if I get this wrong, well, I'm going to choose LeGarrette Blunt every time. That's what you see with those seasonal redraft ranks on playerprofiler.com. That's rational. But in the Scott Fishbowl, in round 11, I have to decide between LeGarrette Blunt, the production I know, the stable producer, and Tevin Coleman, the volatile producer, with the superior upside. It's also important to note that Tevin Coleman has a higher ADP than LeGarrette Blunt. Tevin Coleman, in general, is drafted earlier. So knowing that Tevin Coleman's ceiling was higher because if something happens to Devontae Freeman, he becomes a workhorse back with top 10 running back potential. He doesn't have top 5 potential like Charles Sims because he's not the receiver that Charles Sims is. But he still has RB1 in fantasy potential if something happens to Devontae Freeman. That's a big deal. That's a big deal in a playoff format like Scott Fish because you have 12 weeks. Each one of those weeks is an opportunity for Devontae Freeman to get hurt. That's why it's more likely that Tevin Coleman is the starting running back at the end of the season than it is at the beginning of the season. We need to give Devontae Freeman more reps, more opportunities to allow for something bad to happen to him, which is necessarily a good thing that would happen to Tevin Coleman. We're not cheering for injuries, but we are playing a game within a game, and we know the game that underpins the other game is a game filled with violence. The injury rate is a reality. You can either take advantage of it, or you can ignore it and lose money. Your choice. And looking forward in the draft into future rounds that I haven't selected in yet, I will be leaning toward Jeff Janis and Philip Dorsett over Robert Woods and Rashard Matthews. I like Robert Woods and Rashard Matthews more than almost anyone in redraft. That's why I have them ranked so highly. That's why they're both ranked in my top 60. But in a format like Scott Fish, you do want to maximize upside in the later rounds. So the playoff format does influence your intra-position micro decisions. In an MFL 10, I'm going to go Robert Woods every time because I know Robert Woods is a starter and potentially the number one wide receiver for the Buffalo Bills in the early part of the season as Sammy Watkins continues to rehab from a broken foot. Rashard Matthews could start the season as the number one wide receiver in Tennessee and never relinquish it to Doriel Green Beckham. That's absolutely possible. So we have to take those wide receivers over the Dorsets and the Janices in MFL 10s, particularly 
draft master leagues where you don't have access to a waiver wire. If you don't have access to a waiver wire, you don't have the luxury of risking zeros with players like Philip Dorsett and Jeff Janis. You know Robert Woods and Rashard Matthews are not going to give you zeros week to week, but this is a different format. So instead of completely changing your whole draft strategy, which is unnecessary and a product of just overthinking too much time on your hands, stick with what you know works. In this case, zero RB, but allow the irregular scoring system and draft format to influence some of your micro decisions on a round-by-round basis. So I'm absolutely targeting Jeff Janis and Philip Dorsett over Robert Woods and Richard Matthews. Because Jeff Janis and Philip Dorsett can help me win the whole thing. And talking about Jeff Janis, it leads me to a brilliant series of tweets that I was part of yesterday. It started when Jacob Rickroad from Rotoviz at Clutch Fantasy writes, Did I draft Jeff Janis? You're goddamn right I did! Of course, with a Colonel Jessup meme. And then another Rotoviz writer, Anthony Amico, follow him at Amixta on Twitter. He doubled down. He said, son, we live in a world that has offenses. And these offenses have to be run by men with playbooks. Who's going to do it? You? You, Matt Kelly? I have a greater responsibility than you could possibly fathom. You weep for Janice, and you curse the Packers. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know. That Janice is benching while tragic, probably won games. And my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, wins games. It's actually not right. It's Aaron Rodgers, but never, never mind. You don't want the truth because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties, you want me on that headset. You need me on that headset. We use words like draft capital and timing and chemistry. We use these words as the backbone of an organization spent chasing something. You use them as a punchline. I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to a man who rises and sleeps under the blanket of the very upside that I provide and then questions the manner in which I provide it. I would rather you say thank you and went on your way. Otherwise, I suggest you pick up a headset and call a play. Either way, I don't give a damn what you think you're entitled to! (laughs) So that was more than 140 characters, and the amazing thing was, even though Anthony wrote it on Notepad, and then screenshotted Notepad, and then tweeted it, that all couldn't fit on one screen of Notepad, so we still had to send multiple tweets to get that full monologue on social media. And as I was reading it, I was thinking, wow, this sounds like something I would write. A tear ran down my... What is this salty discharge, Anthony? I'm so proud of you. Oh, just... It was like a father watching his son play baseball, hit a home run, and then glide around the bases with a certain strut and a swagger that reminded him exactly of him when he was a boy. And that's what this tweet did for me. That's something I would have written two years ago. Just so perfectly done. Gosh, salty discharge. But I have been fortunate in this Scott Fish Bowl that oftentimes when I had these either-or decisions to make, the league later allowed me to have it both ways, to have both players. 
I drafted Tevin Coleman in the 11th round, and then later on, and then later in the 12th round, LeGarrette Blunt was somehow still available, and I was able to get both players. Sign of the cross. I'm atheist. In fact, I can only recall so far one time being surprised that a player I was excited to draft next was selected ahead of me. It's amazing. We're through 14 rounds, and I have felt sniped once. One time. That one time was by, surprise, another Rotoviz writer, Ryan Lassard, when he selected Javorius Buck Allen in the 14th. I had plans to draft him within the next 10 or 20 picks, and it wasn't going to happen. Not on Ryan Lassard's watch. Damn you, Ryan Lassard. Got sniped one time in an entire draft. And that one time, it just goes to show how insane we are as fantasy gamers. You go an entire draft not getting sniped. That one time, someone takes the player you want and you still get enraged. We are such irrational apes, us fantasy gamers. It's crazy. It's great. So great. But if I were standing on this trap door and I had to select the top Ravens running back for 2016, it wouldn't be Justin Forsett, who was drafted earlier than Javorius Allen. And it wouldn't be Kenneth Dixon, who was also drafted before Javorius Allen. It would absolutely be Javorius Buck Allen. Because he's the best, most experienced running back in that running back core. He's far more talented than Justin Forsett, and he's more experienced than Kenneth Dixon. Advantage Allen. But you might say, well, I went to playerprofiler.com and Javorius Allen's efficiency wasn't impressive at all last year. Well, it wasn't. Across the board, he finished outside the top 40 in production premium, yards per touch, juke rate, you name it. But none of Javorius Allen's efficiency metrics are major red flags like Isaiah Crowell's 15% juke rate on 200 carries. Javorius Allen wasn't league bottom in anything. He just wasn't exceptional anywhere. But it's not like he displayed Andre Williams sub 3.5 yards per carry for consecutive years with a carry sample size in the hundreds and hundreds of carries. No. Javorius Allen had less than 200 touches last year. That is the definition of a small sample size at the NFL level for a running back. But what did he demonstrate? He demonstrated he was more talented than other running backs on the depth chart, like Lorenzo Taliaferro, who was also drafted in the fourth round the year prior. He passed Taliaferro on the depth chart and became Justin Forsett's immediate backup in week one as a rookie. That was impressive. I wasn't surprised because at USC, Javorius Allen posted a 27.7% college dominator rating, which was above the 50th percentile. And his workout metrics across the board from 40 time to burst score to agility score on playerprofiler.com all above the 50th percentile. So wait a second, he's just average? That's what you're saying, Matt? I'm supposed to be excited about the Ravens running back who's just average? No thanks. I'd rather chase the upside. Aren't we chasing the upside? What happened to chasing the upside in the back half of the Scott Fishbowl? You hypocrite, you Matt Kelly. Oh, the upside is there. The upside is there because Javorius Allen is 220 pounds as opposed to Justin Forsett, who is 198 pounds. Justin Forsett is a scat back who's never been a good receiver. Justin Forsett's receptions have never eclipsed 
45 in a season. And he's not fast, explosive, or agile. He's the anti-Javorius Allen. There's nothing on the Justin Forsett profile other than his upper body strength that's above average. Nothing. Size, speed, burst, agility. But he does have real football skills demonstrated by a 33.5% 71st percentile college dominator at California. When he was at Cal, he was a producer. He produced in spite of these workout metrics. You could look at him like a mini Arian Foster. Arian Foster, whose workout metrics underwhelmed across the board, except that Arian Foster is a fantastic receiver and Justin Forsett is not. But then I read this from football guys Matt Waldman. I'll say Justin Forsett has a 65% chance of posting a 70 reception season in 2016. 65% chance! <laughs> what? I can correct that right now. The percentage chance that Justin Forsett reaches 50 receptions, much less 70, is 0%. How and why anyone is even discussing the idea that Justin Forsett could break his career reception high by 25 catches at age 31 is absurd. It's the definition of the absurd fantasy football discussion, yet somehow Matt Waldman wanders in with a 65% arbitrary percentage? Like, where is this coming from? Where on the profile is it? Show me. Where has Justin Forsett proven efficient in the passing game? He hasn't. His catch rate was no better than Javorius Allen's last year. His juke rate was similar. Justin Forsett's production premium, the situation agnostic efficiency metric on playerprofile.com, negative 16.8 last season, was well below Javorius Allen's. Remember, the Ravens tried out Justin Forsett as their starting every down running back in week one. For the first time in his career, at age 30, Justin Forsett was bequeathed a primary running back job in week one for his team. And how did he reward the Ravens? By posting 12.2 fantasy points per game in that role. If you're the primary ball carrier at 200 pounds, you better be catching more than three receptions per game. But that's all Justin Forsett could muster. Meanwhile, Javorius Allen was thrust into the most challenging offensive situation of any running back last year. An inefficient run-blocking offensive line, an 83.7 run-blocking score on playerprofiler.com for the Baltimore Ravens, 26th in the league. So the line was doing Javorius Allen no favors when he became the starter later in the season, and defenses were keying on him and him alone because the quarterback taking snaps was either Matt Schaub or Jimmy Clausen or Ryan Mallett. You can't come up with a situation in fiction that is more challenging than what Javorius Allen walked into last season, and yet he still posted 4.7 yards per touch, and he displayed great adeptness in the passing game. He was such a monster in the passing game. Javorius Allen was so effective in the passing game. He commanded 13 targets one game, 10 targets in another. Nine targets in another. When has Justin Forsett commanded nine targets in a game? I'll give you the rest of time to pull that number. Tweet us at Roto Underworld or email us rotounderworld at gmail.com. If you can go back through the annals of time, read the old, old football books. 
and find a game in which Justin Forsett recorded nine targets. Because nine targets is the norm for Javorius Allen. That's why he's the best running back on the Baltimore Ravens depth chart. Size, speed, 105.0, 75th percentile speed score. One of the early adopters of advanced metrics, Bill Barnwell, correlated speed score with running back production at the NFL level. So Javorius Allen has the intrinsic traits we want, the size and the speed great route running, and great hands. That's what Javorius Allen is all about. What more could you want? Well, Kenneth Dixon also has those traits. He's 250 pounds. He was a mega college producer. He's not as fast as Javorius Allen. Kenneth Dixon's speed score only 97.7. That's below average. Average agility, above average burst. Kenneth Dixon's best comparable player is Jay Ajayi. Javorius Allen's is Ryan Matthews. Who would you rather have, all else being equal? I'd rather have Ryan Matthews. But I think that Javorius Allen and Kenneth Dixon look strikingly similar. I think if Javorius Allen went to Louisiana Tech instead of USC, he also would have posted 42.4%. He also would have posted a 90th percentile college dominator. The problem with Javorius Allen is he went to Southern Cal a team that never wanted him to be the starting running back. In Javorius Allen's sophomore year, the team desperately wanted Silas Red to ascend, and it didn't happen. Then the following year, the team desperately wanted Trey Madden to ascend. They gave Trey Madden more carries than Javorius Allen, even though Javorius Allen's yards per carry were almost a full yard better than Trey Madden's that season. And Javorius Allen scored 14 touchdowns that year on only 135 attempts. And in limited work, he still caught 22 passes. He was never a top recruit like Silas Red, and yet he continued to impress in practice and during games, and he forced the coaching staff to give him carries. Finally, in his senior year, Javorius Allen was able to post 1,500 total yards, double-digit touchdowns, and over 40 receptions, 2,000 all-purpose yards at USC. That's exceptional. You put Javorius Allen on Louisiana Tech against Louisiana Tech competition, it would be easy to imagine him outproducing Kenneth Dixon. And the reason why, if I was standing on top of that trapdoor, I would pick Javorius Allen over Kenneth Dixon in fantasy football in 2016 is because Javorius Allen is a proven NFL producer. He has gained the trust of the coaching staff. He was active at all phases in the worst possible circumstances. That fact alone puts him head and shoulders above the rookie who has never played a snap in the NFL. We still do not know what Kenneth Dixon is. Is he Bryce Brown? Is he Jay Ajayi? Is he Andre Williams? Or is he something closer to Ryan Matthews? Or is he Marshawn Lynch? We don't know yet. We have to see him play. And we haven't seen him play. In the absence of that information, the choice becomes clear. And yet, Javorius Allen's ADP on my fantasy leagues continues to deflate. He's now being drafted outside the top 150 players. He is now the best value running back on the board. It was Arian Foster, but now that Javorius Allen is being picked outside the top 150, it's got to be Javorius Allen. And he doesn't cost anything there. You might as well draft a player with a bell cow profile 
paired with Mark Tressman, who has a history of emphasizing running back touches in the passing game. Why not at slot 156? He's not risk-free. His profile looks strikingly similar to Kenneth Dixon's. Kenneth Dixon, even though Javorius Allen is fantastic in the passing game, Kenneth Dixon is exceptional in the passing game. Just go to YouTube and look for Kenneth Dixon highlights. I rarely do this, but do yourself a favor. Go to YouTube and watch Kenneth Dixon's highlights in the passing game. He's even better than David Johnson, even better than Javorius Allen, even better than Duke Johnson in the passing game. It's real. But he also could be Bryce Brown in the run game, so we don't know what he is yet. We're much more certain about what Javorius Allen is, and it will be the most fascinating training camp battle. Javorius Allen on one side, Kenneth Dixon on the other, two players with bell cow profiles colliding in the Coliseum. Yeah, and the player I didn't mention was the 31-year-old scat back who runs a 4-6-7 who's actually not a good receiver. The guy who has a 0.0000000000% chance of reaching 70 receptions. Yet Justin Forsett is being drafted before Kenneth Dixon and before Javorius Allen. The Ravens running backs own the most irrational ADPs in all of fantasy football. So no matter what the platform you're playing on, you should not be drafting Justin Forsett. But I do want to talk to you briefly about some leagues that I am in, even though I loathe those that talk about their own fantasy teams. I'm going to do it for a moment. And this moment of fantasy team reflection is brought to you by Apex Fantasy Leagues. Apex is the best place to play seasonal fantasy football for money. With a skill-based format and industry-leading payouts, Apex ensures the best fantasy players win big. Apex is now offering Dynasty Leagues, too, so I love Dynasty Leagues. Go to apexfantasyleagues.com and sign up today. You might say, oh, well, you like Dynasty Leagues, huh, Fantasy Mansion? I heard you quit a very high-profile Dynasty League this week. Yes, I did. That is going to be my self-reflection today. I, in fact, quit a fantasy league yesterday. The Kitchen Sink League is the most sophisticated, most well-respected, prestigious dynasty league in fantasy land. And I quit. I quit! I am a quitter. Not only that, I abandoned a super team. A super team in a super flex league that featured Philip Rivers, Ben Roethlisberger, Tyrod Taylor. My running backs were all young. Javorius Allen, of course. CJ Proceis, Terrell Watson, Devontae Booker, Tyler Irvin, Daniel Lasco. My wide receivers were okay. Bruce Ellington, Quincy Inunua, Jeff Janis, of course, Seth Roberts, Eric Rogers, Jarius Wright, but I also had T.Y. Hilton and Vincent Jackson and Alshon Jeffrey and Jeremy Macklin and Dante Moncrief and Allen Robinson <laughs> and Willie Sneed. <laughs> and I just had Delaney Walker, Lance Kendricks at tight end. Not a big deal. <sighs> Not a big deal. Just the most unstoppable Dynasty League team I've ever had. And I walked away. I simply walked away because I had to. I had no choice. Well, it was my choice to walk away, but when I did some introspection, as it turned out, I had no choice. Because I didn't want to leave 
a super prestigious league run by the best league commissioner in all of fantasy football, Ryan McDowell. He's the best in the business. I walked away from a league that he administers. That isn't smart. Once you find your way into a dynasty league that is well run, you should never abandon that team no matter how dark it gets, no matter how bad it gets. But I didn't walk away because my team was bad, clearly. I walked away because I could not keep up with my responsibilities as an owner. The league is super sophisticated. You've got franchise tags. You've got transition tags. You've got restricted free agent auctions. And you've got regular auctions. And you've got Devi auctions and rookie auctions. It's not really a rookie auction because there's developmental players. So that's a whole other issue. I couldn't keep up. I didn't know when anything was starting. I didn't know what the limits were. All the nuances. I was completely baffled and I wasn't engaged enough with the league to learn. That's on me. I was the guy who dropped five players that I didn't need to because I didn't read the email that the taxi squad expanded in year two. That's on me. I didn't want to leave a league that is as aesthetically pleasing as the kitchen sink. It's a league that I would think that I would want to be in. I fashioned myself as a dynasty player that would do well in a league like that. And thus far, I was doing very well. But that's not everything. I do not play in fantasy leagues at 90% engaged. I do not play in fantasy leagues unless I can be 100% engaged and I know that I am not going to be that guy that's always begging the commissioner to undo transactions because I don't understand the rules and I'm not paying attention. But I became that guy. And if you're looking in the mirror and you're seeing that guy, you know at that point you have to walk away. The league was very cool in theory. I wanted to be someone who could participate in a league like that with 100% effort. But in practice, for me, it was like hiring an artist to build my couch. It looked really cool, but at the end of the day, I just wanted to be comfortable. I didn't want to have to learn all of those nuances. I wanted to be the guy that looked at this league and my team within it with pride, like a piece of art. But that piece of art was too much work to upkeep. So I had to give it to someone else who could enjoy it more. What good is a Monet sitting in the closet when you can give it to someone who loves Claude Monet and would put it in a high visibility section of their home and enjoy it every day? I had to come to terms with the fact that I am not the most sophisticated dynasty player. It's just not in me. And I don't even like Devi leagues. That was the other issue. I like rookie drafts where Ezekiel Elliott goes number one. When Sterling Shepard is the best player available, that's not a rookie draft that I'm excited about participating in. I'm just not. So during this process, I learned, wow, this is a full-blown Devi league, and I don't actually like Devi. So why am I in this league again when someone else who loves Devi can participate? Think about that. I just never want to be that guy that goes through the motions. Please, commissioner, please, can you fix my team? I didn't know the rules. No one wants to be that guy. 
too busy to show up to the draft on time, not engaged, the guy that no one wants to trade with because he never gets back to them. I was that guy and I hated myself for it. It became stressful. I couldn't get enjoyment out of a super team because I was too busy feeling stressed about the deadlines I was missing and the fact that I wasn't treating my roster in an optimal way. Even though it was very good, it could have been better if I'd made better decisions in the Devi draft. But I have no idea who Preston Williams is. Apparently he's 6'4", 210, runs a 4'3", and has been lauded throughout spring ball in Tennessee. If I don't know that about all of these college freshmen, why am I in a Devi league? Get out! If you don't know all about Preston Williams, you shouldn't be in a Devi league. You're just going through the motions. So I said to Ryan McDowell, hey, listen, I'm out. You got to replace me, man. I'm not doing this team justice. And the moment I put it out there, there was a sharp feeling of disappointment followed by just complete relaxed relief. Ah, I'm out. I walked away from a wide receiver core featuring T.Y. Hilton, Alshon Jeffrey, Jeremy Macklin, Dante Moncrief, and Allen Robinson. Wait, what? 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 